This morning we're going to talk about being reasonable. As in, we say in conversation all of the time, well, that seems reasonable to me, or, you know what, that's unreasonable. For example, this past week on Monday, we took Molly's car into the dealership to have the oil changed, and it would have been reasonable to have the car back within the hour, based upon what they said. And three days later, um, having had them break the power steering, um, we got the car back, and it still isn't right. Um, that's unreasonable, <laughs> right? Uh, when I was growing up, a high school student, my dad would say frequently, be home at a reasonable time. And based upon who he was and who I was in our relationship, I knew that didn't mean 8 o'clock at night. I knew that that didn't mean 4 a.m. either. But there was enough trust there. He said, be home at a reasonable time. And I sort of knew what that meant, and that was fine for him to say that. If you're dieting and you're planning to go to Valentino's Buffet today, um, it probably wouldn't be reasonable, number one, that you go there. But <laughs> you go up five times because you want to get your money's worth. Um, it's probably not a very reasonable diet plan. Well, today we're going to talk about being reasonable with religion. And we'll be in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to find Romans chapter 12 because in Romans 12 we learn about what is reasonable when it comes to religion. Now we talk about this in our culture as well because we have some people who, uh, in fact, it's probably pretty common in America uh, to think that if you believe in God, that's reasonable. In fact, if you believe in God, it's reasonable to attend religious services maybe once a week. For some, it's reasonable to come twice a year for major holidays. Uh, then you have, an, an, on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who, uh, like one of our old neighbors when we lived in Los Angeles, um, she would get up every morning at, oh, dark 30, and at 6 a.m., she would go to a religious service. We knew she went every day because we could hear her door creak open, and we could hear it slam shut. And uh, to us, that wasn't very reasonable. But she went all the time to the point where I think most people would say, I think that's a little unreasonable to go to church every Sunday. Well, today we're going to talk about what God thinks is reasonable for Christians. Okay, What Christians think is reasonable for Christians, because the Apostle Paul is the one writing. And I'll, by way of preview, I'll tell you right now that the twice-a-year thing, <clears throat> Christmas and Easter, the once-a-week thing, the everyday thing, None of those things are reasonable. None of those things, even the everyday thing, is near enough to be considered reasonable religion. And you say, seriously? Well, hopefully I have your attention now. With that in mind, let's read the passage. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we learn about reasonable religion. What is reasonable? What's fitting? What's, what's appropriate? Verse 1 says of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Or as the King James translates it at the end, which is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. Even from a word that, where we get our English word for logical. This is fitting. This is logical. Now let's talk about what that means and let's 
at least scratch the surface of getting into that. But before we actually go piece by piece into Romans 12.1, the big idea is if God has saved you from His own wrath that you deserve based upon nothing you've done to earn it, based upon everything Jesus Christ has done in living a sinless life and then dying a sinner's death, atoning for your sins, rising again from the dead on your behalf, all all the while again while you didn't deserve it. If He has done that for you to the point where now you stand before God in a right standing, if He's done that for you, then what's reasonable is that all of you, all of the time is aimed toward worshiping Him. Not twice a year, not 52 times a year, not anything other than 24-7, always and forever, not just in showing up somewhere, but in your occupation, in your education, yes, in your fellowship and service with other Christians, in your health, in your sickness, in your happy days, in your morning days, in your all-of-the-time days is what he's getting at. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What's reasonable? What's reason? What's logical here? And what's logical is all of you, all the time. And I can't wait for us to get into it. Let's just start, start looking uh, at some of the deep riches of Romans 12.1, and then we're going to go backward to Romans 1-11. to Just slowing it down a little bit with that in mind, look at Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, the therefore is connecting us backward to what's come before. We'll get to that. But in light of what I've been talking about for 11 chapters, the hinge on the door swings open, and it's the therefore idea, the conclu- or, or the, the implication idea, But Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by implication, sisters. What's interesting is in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle. That means he carries a big stick, right? That means he he has the authority of Jesus when he talks. He doesn't say that here. I don't think he's less than an apostle. But what's interesting here is he doesn't say that. He says, I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, how about this, as, as an older sibling, maybe maybe with enough room in between you that you now respect that older sibling, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he's, he's, he's been in this longer than you have, and, and, and you respect him as someone with integrity. And he's saying, and, and grammarians and Greek scholars tell us, what he's saying here is somewhere in between, somewhere in between a request and a command. It's not the full-on apostolic, you must do this. But it's not, you know, here's, here's a hint. Maybe this, this works for me, maybe it would work for you. <laughs> it's an appeal. As one translation says, it's an, it's an urging. I've got to tell you what makes sense. This makes all the sense in the world. If, you, if you're my, my, my spiritual sister or my spiritual brother, if you're in the family of God because of the grace of God, then I appeal to you. I plead with you. This only makes sense. This is logical. And then he makes that radical statement. Before we get to the radical statement, I'm jumping ahead to the radical statement. He says, by, or you could translate it, because of, on the basis of the mercies of God, which everyone would know and agree, studying this, he's referring back to, that's code, that's shorthand for Romans 1 to 11, God's saving work, because of what God has done and God alone has done, then the radical statement the reasonable statement that we would otherwise think is unreasonable. 
to present your bodies. You see, not just what you can give, but you. Please don't miss that. Your bodies, all of you, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable worship or your reasonable service. Isn't it just a great passage? Christians find this great. Christians say, ah, it's like a light bulb that goes off. Because of the mercies of God, shorthand for gospel, in in light of the fact that it's all of God, all of Christ, all of grace, and you know what? It wasn't that I was spiritually neutral. I was actually antagonistic. In light of that, this makes all the sense in the world. I want to give my whole life, all of me. He uses the, the, the word that's very picturesque, my body, not in a limited sense, as in physical only, but but all of me to serve Him and to worship Him. Not paying Him, which is typically thought of when we say, what's reasonable? Reasonable is you go twice a year, you go 52 times a year. Reasonable, perhaps, if you're really trying to pay Him, you might go every day. This is far more radical than that. What's reasonable if He secured my pardon, as the song says. All of me, all of the time. You can have my life. I just want to worship you. And if you're a Christian, I would think that you're thinking, this is good. This is what I do when I think something's good. Preaching. I do this. Yeah, so I'm going to do it like crazy until my hands catch on fire. It's it's that kind of passage. Somebody said to me recently, you know, you can hear that on audio. Well, (laughs) it just doesn't get any more... It doesn't get any better. It's just this is this is logical. This makes sense. This is this is reasonable. My life is given to serving him. Not my compartment. I'll give him my little bit. My life is giving to serving given to serving him because that's reasonable in light of what he's done for me. He's overwhelmed by the reality of the mercies of God at this point in time. So what I want to do, and it will accomplish a couple of things, what I want to do this morning is I want to say, what are the mercies of God? In other words, review. In other words, for those of you who are just joining us, it will serve the purpose of bringing you up to speed. We've had 50 sermons in Romans. Come, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Spare us from the preacher. (laughs) Hopefully it's getting us more ready for heaven. 50 weeks under our belts. You know what? Let's bring everyone else up to speed. And if you're like me, you have a short memory and you need to be re-brought up to speed. But I hope what also happens is that we really are ready now to say, okay, God, tell me what you want me to do. Tell me how I can serve you. Tell me how to live my Christian life, which is Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, I am ready because I've been refreshed in what it means to experience the mercies of God, which would be the gospel. I'm more ready than I've ever been before. So we're going to do Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. We'll quickly go through 9, 10, and 11, and we will be done by evening service. No, we won't. We, we will get things moving quickly. So let's go ahead and say, what, what, what is he getting at? Mercies of God, that's shorthand for everything you said before, but he starts by talking about how bad off we are. Actually, he doesn't. Actually, in the first 17 verses, he gives us a preview, probably because if you just started in Romans 1.18, you would be so stinking depressed by chapter 3 that you would want to end it all. <laughs> so good that he gives us a preview. He's going to say, you know what? 
you are a sinner, but let me just tell you that salvation is all of God and salvation is great. Give you the introduction to the first 17 verses. He says in those verses, it's the gospel of God, the good news of God concerning his son, verse Three, for the sake of His name, because it's all of Him. He's doing it all. Verse 7, loved by God and, and called to be saints. Verse 16, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's the great, awesome preview. If you will, Romans 1, 1 to 17 gives a good summary of what the mercies of God are referring to. But let's, dar- let's, let's darken the lights a little bit for at least a couple of chapters. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made Okay, so God has revealed Himself. He's made Himself known through creation. It's clear as the eye can see. So that they are without excuse. See, it stands as a testimony against us. And here's why. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Maybe just a pause there for a second. God makes Himself known so everyone can see, and we claim to be wise, and we say, but to me, God is. But I feel that God is. See, we claim to be wise. Well, that's who God says He is, but let me tell you who God is to me. We redefine God, make Him more manageable. We make Him look a lot like we would want Him to look if we were God and, in effect, we're acting like God. There's a word for this that's throughout the Bible. It's called idolatry. And if you want to know what ticks God off, it's when you say, Oh, no, you're not God. I make God in my own image. It's the ultimate in rebellion. And that's why Romans 1 uses words like wrath. We're, as others have said, creating idols, even if the ultimate idol is ourself. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature. (laughs) Jumping out in this context would be, yeah, self ultimately, rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. It's really, really this dark pronouncement upon God was showing Himself. And what did we do? We didn't say, we worship you, God, amazing as you are. What we do is we say, well, to me, God is a little different. Authority, emphasis on, to me, God is. And the gloves go off and the wrath comes and judgment comes. And you say, why are we talking about this? I thought we were going to talk about how great God is and how awesome He is and how great His mercy is so that I would want to serve Him. Exactly. But you'll never understand how great He is and how great His salvation is, how great His mercy is, and you'll never therefore want to serve Him with all of you and think that's reasonable if you don't understand the guck and the muck you got saved out of. That's all. 
And so Paul knows to do what he's doing. Now, if you're like me and you look at those bad people you see on the news who do all of these horrible things in far-off distant lands, then chapter 2 is for you. Okay? Chapter 2 is for those people who say, yeah, those guys really are bums. They deserve to get wiped out. All right, logic is coming. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. Oh, man. I know an idolater when I see him. (laughs) And now he's turning the tables and saying, you know what, you're you're the same kind of person, Pat. You're not going to get out of this one. For, For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightfully falls on those who do such things. Amen, brother. If I were a Baptist, I'd like that sermon, right? Verse 3. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you'll escape the judgment of God? The idea would be you might be more sophisticated in your idolatry and it might not be so brash and brazen and crass, but the reality is you point out their problems and the reality is you've got a problem with it too is what he's saying. But because of your hard, impenitent heart, verse 5 says, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Verse 11, God is very fair for God shows no partiality. So whether you're a sophisted, sophisted, sophisted. if you're sophisted, you should put entries in Webster because you're making up words. If you're sophisticated, you go in chapter 2 in your idolatry. And if you're just sort of run-of-the-mill pagan, you go in chapter 1. That's what he's saying. What's happening is, is, is things are getting really dark because he's going to show that everyone is deserving of the wrath of God and that's what makes Jesus so amazing. And then we move on to chapter 3, dealing with religious people but also just everybody because somebody's going to say, yeah, but what about so-and-so? They do a lot of good social causes and surely, surely they're not sinners and they don't deserve the wrath of God. Let's just jump right into chapter 3, verse 9. Both Jews and Greeks, so whether you're, not, whether you're part of the right religious family or not, the Jews and Greeks, so that's going to include everyone, are under sin as it is written. So he's going to quote from Psalm 14, Old Testament text, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, verse 12 says, Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So what you want to write in your margin there, at least in your mind, would be the person who stands out to you most as far as one who does uh, the greatest social acts of social justice, the religious examples that you might see in our world and culture. This is where Mother Teresa belongs. Or someone on the religious social side or someone else. You you name it. But she's a world-renowned religious example of someone who's a good person. So I chose her. You might want to choose somebody else. You think of the best person you can think of and put them there. But no matter what country I'm in, they talk about Mother Teresa, so I'm using her. And he says, what does he say? No one does good, not even one. Now, I don't want to get too hung up on this because we talked about it for a long time when we were in chapter 3. But this is not to suggest that everyone is as bad as they could be. This is not to suggest that there isn't relative good. 
the Bible affirms relative good, what it's talking about in Romans is ultimate good. True, genuine, perfect motives, perfect actions. We could summarize it by they keep the law, which is summarized by Jesus as, I love God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. Flowing out of that, I love my neighbor as myself. With perfect motives all of the time. And he's saying, there isn't even one. There's not even one such person. And again, you say, why is this a positive motivating message that's going to want me to serve God with my whole life all the time? Because you've got to understand how bad it is to understand how great Jesus is so that you can understand what you've been saved out of. And then you say, I want to serve God with my whole life because He saved me. It all goes together. It's magnificent. It's amazing. I like it that He uses that word that we get our English word logic from in chapter 12. But let me say it in these terms. This might help. To the degree that you think we're good people, God sees what good people we are. Oh, they're so good. I'll send my son for them. To the degree that you think like that, it reveals why you don't think Romans 12.1 is logical. Because quite frankly, if, it, if that is how the story goes, Romans 12.1 isn't logical. It's not reasonable. Because we were good people. Maybe we had the spiritual sniffles or something. And Jesus came to take our sniffles away. <laughs> and then, oh, we get heaven. And then, you know what? God's command on our life is going to be, you know what? Could you, could, could, you, could you give me some devotion now and then? You know, maybe twice a year isn't quite enough. Could you up it just a little bit? I've been a good Santa this year. <laughs> and we're giving God some kind of reward. But to the degree that you understand we don't just have a zero balance. We're in the red. And we're not going to pay God back. He gives us all of the riches of His Son. And now we stand before Him rich in His sight as members of His family. Not before the divine judge, but before the one we say, Daddy, you say, I give my whole life my whole life because I'm so thankful for what you've given to me and then it's logical and it makes sense I so love this passage for these very reasons I'm going to skip most of what's in chapter 3 from then on out it just gets worse it's just gross he uses words like venom and grave and deception and but do notice what it says in verse 19 of chapter 3 Here's where he's gone. This is the nail in the coffin, so to speak, so that every mouth, emphasis on every because he's tackled every people group, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. What has he been doing? He's been arguing this logically so that there is a worldwide gag order issued. And no sinner is going to be able to justifiably say, I'm a good person. <laughs> Nobody can say I'm a good person. It's to shut everybody's mouth. It's to issue a worldwide, exhaustive decree 
put a gag in everybody's mouth. It's pretty intense, pretty visual. Now, if it ends here, dude, just condemnation that we all deserve. Uh, <laughs> it's bad. You know, if this is where it ends, could you please prescribe to me maximum dosage times five of Zoloft? Oh, and while you're at it, give me Prozac too. And why don't you give me a fifth of Jack? Right? I just want to, I just want to end it all now and just get it all over with because this is, this just couldn't get any worse. But on second thought, if I overdose, I meet this God. And if I overdose and I meet this God, then it's going to end badly for me. So maybe I'm going to do that at night, but in the morning, I'm going to go to the gym. <laughs> I'm going to get maybe a couple gym memberships. i got to start watching what I eat because I'm going to meet this God who owes me condemnation and wrath. You see, it's meant to be seen as dark and ugly. It is dark and ugly. The wrath of God is bearing down on your head. And, and he's gone out of his way for three chapters to, to use words that have to do with justice, fairness, equity. <sighs> but again, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're going, yeah, I love this. This is great. Just to let you in on a secret, if you're thinking, man, this, I hate this. This is killing my self-esteem. I hope I DVR'd the hour of power. Maybe Schuler's daughter's pretty good today and helps me with my self-esteem. You see, Christians like to learn this kind of stuff because we then see how much more impressive our Savior is than we thought He was. And then Romans 12, 1 and following makes sense. We're not a bunch of people that just like to you know, get beat up. But it's reality. You know there's those days when you don't look, want to look in the mirror? I just pass. There's a big mirror in our bathroom. You know, I'm going to go in the closet and change clothes <laughs> and, uh, you know, try to do something so as to not scare the small children and then just, just kind of get out of there because, you know, I just don't like the way I look. I don't want to face reality. I feel that way a lot, actually. But anyway, uh, this isn't a counseling session. <laughs> Romans 1, 2, and 3 is a big mirror. And it says, look, this is real. This is who you are. Which gets you ready to see who Jesus is. Which will change everything. Okay, with that in mind, with, with all of that on the negative, then we get Romans 3.21, and here's where it gets great. Here's where we're impressed with the Redeemer. Look at 3.21, but now... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Remember what Luther used to say in his unconverted state as a monk who was trying to earn his way? He finally, after studying the Bible for a year, said, I hate God. I hate God specifically because I hate God in his righteousness. He finally figured it out that the works weren't going to get in there because God is, is righteous. I despise this God. You know what? Luther was onto something. He was right. He was absolutely right. But here, all of a sudden, we don't hate the righteousness of God, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. 
Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, verse 22, look at that, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Now we love the righteousness of God because it has to do with redemption for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is for Jew, this is for Gentile. And verse 24, and are justified, declared righteous. Wow, in front of a righteous God, I'm going to be declared righteous? Tell me more. By His grace as a gift. Let's make the point redundant because we are so hard-headed and we don't understand that it's not something we do. By grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And you're now going, yeah! It's all of Him. He does it all. I'm declared righteous in the eyes of God because of the merits of Jesus. Verse 25, tell me more whom God put forward as a propitiation or an atonement or a satisfaction. See, God is, justif- God is satisfying His own wrath, His own justice, propitiating Himself, if you will, by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He, God, might be the just, that is the righteous, same word, and the justifier, the one who declares righteous, even though we're not, of the one who has faith in Jesus. <sighs> yes, right? It's awesome. It's gospel. And think about it. To stand before you. You know I'm just a big fat sinner. Right? Who does he think he is? A sinner. (laughs) With the wrath of God bearing down on his head. That's who he thinks he is. But think about this. In light of the rest of Romans 3. Standing before you. No, nix that. Standing before God. And God's seeing Pat, the big fat sinner, spiritually as righteous? Say what? Not because I go to church twice a year or 52 times a year or every morning at 6 a.m., but because of the merits of Christ, because of his perfect life, the life he lived on my behalf, which then took him to his perfect substitutionary propitiatory death, right? to pay for my sins, to then rise again from the dead on, in my stead, as they said in old, old language, in my place, so that God would declare me righteous even though I'm not based upon His righteousness? Let's do this again. <laughs> this is good news. This is gospel news. This is getting me ready for Romans 12.1, which is reasonable. What's reasonable? What's reasonable is, Pat says, God, thank you. I want to serve you with my whole life. Not to pay you, but because the debt has already been paid. Because I am rich. I'm part of your family because of the riches of Christ. And you know what? I'm yours. And in one sense, I don't even need to be commanded to do that. I do need somebody like Paul, who's a brother in the faith, to say, you know what? (laughs) I urge you to do this. It's reasonable. I appeal to you. You don't need to be beat over the head to understand this. This just makes sense. This is just logical. It's reasonable. Life is now worship. Now, to the degree, again, that you think the gospel is what would Jesus do, 
you won't get this. If you think the gospel is following Jesus, if you think what would Jesus do is the essence of the gospel, then you get to Romans 12 and you go, that's not reasonable. 52 times a year is reasonable. But it doesn't have to affect my work. It doesn't need to affect my thinking. It doesn't need to affect my true heart. So don't think about that in those terms. It's good to want to do what Jesus would do. It's eventually going to break down because you're not God. Um, <laughs> sorry, got to let you know. Um, it's what Jesus did. Perfect life, perfect substitutionary death, perfect resurrection. He did it all for me. What's logical? He owns me. I love him. He's everything to me. I want to do this. That's why it's good for us to go back to Romans 1 to 3 and now into chapter 4, 5, and 6. Romans 4 is essentially the same thing. He uses Abraham as an example because perhaps somebody would think he might be the exception because he was generally a good guy and that's not really the case. Verse 5 says, And to the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly. How about that? God justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. We don't have time to go into it, but actually that would, be a, that would be a foul on God's part. For him to justify the ungodly, what would it be for him to not be righteous or for him to be, not be just? The reason that's not the case is earlier in chapter 3, he's the just and the justifier because he has his son justly pay the penalty and earn righteousness. Chapter 5, more of the same good stuff. We have been justified by faith, so we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How about verse 6? For while we were still weak, or better yet, helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay. This makes way more sense. So when we get to chapter 12, I'm going to appeal to you to respond to what God has done in your life. And oh, by the way, he's done everything. And so everything about you should be aimed toward worshiping him. And you say, that's logical. That makes sense. It makes sense. Again, I keep using this contrast to the degree that we're not all in. We just show that we don't understand the gospel. And we just show that we don't actually understand how sinful we are. That's why it's so good to invest time in focusing on sin and to invest time into focusing on Christ and His substitutionary life, death, and resurrection. Because then we say, All right! I'm ready to live the Christian life! But we forget. We forget. It's one of the many reasons we have communion. Jesus knew we would forget. So we keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. Shedding His blood, giving His life to redeem us. To bring us salvation. Oh, I can live the Christian life. (laughs) 
Romans chapter 6 is now spiritual growth and maturity. Well, that also comes from, from Him and it comes from His work on our behalf. We learn about that, how we were enslaved to sin, but now we're not enslaved to sin anymore. Chapter 6, verse 6 talks about that and following and all around there for the sake of time. We're not going to go into that, but I, I feel bad about not going into it because it's not just being justified that would want me to then give Him my whole life. We're not only justified, we're sanctified in Him. And that means, wow, this is even better than, than just being saved. It's actually being free to do the right thing. Wow, my whole life is for Him. My whole life is for Him. Romans 7 is more of the same. Romans 7, 4, Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to Him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Notice the bearing fruit for God is because of His resurrection. It's because of what He has done, empowered by the Spirit, applying the work of the Son on our behalf. And you say, man, I'm getting revved up. And then Romans 8, talking about the power of the cross applied to us by the Spirit. Now we have no condemnation. Romans 8.1 For those who are in Christ Jesus. That's just phenomenal and awesome. And the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. And all of these amazing things are ours in Christ. And it really doesn't get any more amazing. But let me pause for a second. We're getting close to chapter 12. At the risk of belittling, and I don't want to do that, but I'm going to skip Romans 9-11. to in part because we've been there recently, but in part because Romans 9 to 11 just drives home the point of Romans 8. Okay? So Romans 8 is security, security, security. If you're really a Christian, you are sure in Christ. Then the Israel question comes up, but what about Israel? They, make, they had promises from God, but it doesn't look like he's going to keep good on those. And so he kind of goes off on a sanctified, inspired tangent, which is awesome and rich. I'm not trying to say it's not important. It is. And then he goes to chapter 12. But just for effect, let's put Romans 9 to 11 aside. The logic of Romans 8 leads to Romans 12 with some great rich stuff in 9, 10, and 11. But let's, let's do this exercise together. We're going to skim Romans 8. We're going to read it at the end. And then we're going to go right into chapter 12. I want you to feel the effect of what his argument is doing. Romans chapter 8 is... is Look at Romans 8, 14. For all who have been led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Whoa, remember Romans 1, 2, and 3. Now we're sons of God. You've, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, no, he's not kidding. This is great because of Christ. Verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. We were, we were enemies, and now we're adopted as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Man, this is awesome. And then he goes on to unpack all of the for lack of a better term, awesomeness and the irreversibility of our salvation. And, and, and he gets to the point where in verse 31 he says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? Remember, God was against us. And now because of the merits of Christ, He's for us. And if He's for us, then, then, then nothing can touch us. He who did, verse 32, He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Well, the implied answer is He most certainly will. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one. Thank you very much. It is God who justifies, and that's who matters, right? Verse 34, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? 
distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. (gasps) Right? And you're going, yeah! And with that, with, 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 with those uh, booster rockets, if you will, at the bottom that, that need to spend all that time energizing and, and building up and getting hotter and hotter and hotter, and now all of a sudden you're going to be called to action in light of this great mercy, in light of this great gospel. You know what? You're going to be called to do something. Everything so far, by and large, has been not about you doing anything. It's been all about what He has done. But all of a sudden in your heart, you're, you're getting the, the fuel going, and you say, what's an appropriate response? What is a logical response? What's what's reasonable religion then in this light? Okay, chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, I urge you by the mercies of God, which we just learned about, to present your bodies, all of you, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, King James, reasonable service. Isn't that good? It's just rocking good is what it is. How should we live if we have a great Savior who saved us to the uttermost? We should live in a way that's all in. Not because of repayment. Not because of payment. Payment's already been made. But by His grace, I'm in. I'm in. Here am I. By your grace, we've learned that. Send me. My whole life is about worship. God, I repent of thinking worship is about an hour with people, some of whom I don't even know, some of whom I don't even like very much. Kind of thought that was part of the payment for my sins. God, I repent. You've done it all. You know what? I not only want to be with people that I don't like very much, because you save them and they're sinners just like you save me. So you know what? We're part of the same family. I not only want to be with them, I actually just want my whole life to be serving you and honoring you. And now all of a sudden you're, you're thinking holistically and you're, you're thinking if you're a young person, I, I, I want my, my coming career choices to... Uh, to be for the glory of Christ. And when you're going through hard times, you know what, I I want my my suffering to be for the glory of Christ. And circumstances are really good and, and you say, you know what, I want this to be for the glory of Christ. Everything. It's everything. It's the whole thing. The Christian worldview is a holistic worldview. He gave us everything we need and in response only because of His grace, we just say, everything we have is yours. I so love this. It's reasonable. 
you see some of these people on, you know, someone sends you a, a YouTube clip of some religion in some far off distant land and they're doing some bizarro mania stuff and you're like, dude. And you're probably thinking, that's so unreasonable that they would do that. You're right, it's unreasonable. In one sense, they should be doing so much more. Now, in a certain sense, it's all twisted and perverted because they think they're going to atone for their sins by doing that. But it's not that it's not enough. It's the whole thing. It's life. But again, not because of payment, but because of the payment. (laughs) And where are we? We just want a little bit of religion. Just give me a little bit, you know, just to kind of make me a better person. And then we get to Romans 12 and we say, you've got to be kidding me. It will never be seen as logical. It will be seen as extreme, crazy. But when you understand the gospel for what it really is, that God justifies ungodly people, God justifies ungodly people. Man, you know what? Just just tell me what you want me to do, Lord. Because I would be that guy. Changes everything. So in Romans, we're gonna we're gonna be called to live with each other in a certain kind of way. Okay. We're gonna be called to live as responsible citizens, even in a pagan culture, government. Okay. We're gonna be called not to just seek our own agendas, but to actually Look out for other people who might be less spiritually mature than us. Okay. Whatever it is, the answer is okay. Not to earn salvation, but because it's been earned for us. Do anything. I'm open. I'm game. Our friend Don Carson has some good sarcasm for us, as only he could. In that Philippians commentary, I noticed in, in God's providence, it was also on Eric Raymond's blog this week, if you read that. But that little Philippians commentary that he has, he makes a great point about how we just want a little bit of, of gospel, which leads to nothing. It's a great quote. Listen to this. I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. My wife first met me. She, she wanted me to, to be a little more religious. <laughs> She got more than she bargained for. (laughs) Be careful what you pray for. I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much. Just enough to make me happy. But not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies cherish self-denial and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people. But I myself don't want to love those from different races. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving 
too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of gospel, please. Dot, 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 which is no gospel. Be impressed with Christ. He saves ungodly people like you and like me. There are no other kinds. And He saves us to the nth degree. And so it's logical for then someone to come along and say, serve Him with your whole life. Serve Him with your whole life. Let's pray and ask God for help. Lord, help us because we are not such people inclined to do these things on our own. We obviously, as we read even in Romans, are inclined to see ourselves as good. In fact, we see ourselves as so good that we find ourselves redefining who you are to fit our liking. And we know that it is shameful. We also know that, therefore, it's because of your grace that we might think differently. It's because of your grace that we would value the gospel. It's because of your grace that we would agree with you that we indeed are sinners. And then ultimately, it's because of your grace that we would see these things. We would see the mercy of God. And we would find ourselves wanting to give you our very existence as an act of worship to you that is fitting, reasonable, logical. Lord, as we learn these things and as we find ourselves more impressed with Christ week in and week out, day in and day out, may, may, may things look different. May things in our lives look different. May things in our homes look different. May things in this culture look different. May things at Omaha Bible Church look different as we find ourselves worshiping Christ with everything. In His name we pray. Amen.